This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Faroz and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Fraser Nelson. Suella Braverman has been in the news this last couple of days because some senior conservatives have accused her of racist rhetoric, especially towards British Pakistanis. Katie, do you think this is a problem for Rishi Sunak? There's clearly a political problem for Rishi Sunak if, you know, someone his party take great issue with his Home Secretary. Um, at the same time, is this a development which means that Suella Braverman is in trouble? Um, she could be fighting for her career as a senior cabinet minister. I- I'm not so sure. I think there's a few parts of this. So I think, of course, in recess and Parliament, we'll be back next week. But a lot of this is looking at what Conservative peer Baroness Wazi has said, which is effectively that Suella Braverman is unfit to be Home Secretary. Now, those comments have been widely picked up. There's a very negative editorial in The Guardian about the Home Secretary. But then I think you have to look at it from a probably what's the perspective within the Conservative Party. And Baroness Wazi has made lots of quite critical comments about the Tory party in recent years, you know, allegations of Islamophobia and others. So I don't think that figure being negative about Suella Braverman tells you that the membership number 10, you know, takes great issue with what Suella Braverman has said. And for example, if you look at the recent Conservative home rankings that we spoke about, I think last week on the podcast, um, the Home Secretary had risen quite rapidly. And a lot of that is down to the small boats push. And I think if you if you look at the fact that Rishi Sunak is up there as well. So I think some of the language that she uses is um, alienating to colleagues and potentially to some voters as, as a result. So you think about the invasion comment. Um, but in number 10, I actually think... Yes, there are sometimes teething problems and relationship is one which uh, the Home Secretary tends to want to go, you know, the furthest. But Rishi Sunak is still pretty much behind her. You know, the small vote policy is not an accident. I think having a Home Secretary who is very bullish and is almost, you know, goes further in her her language and rhetoric than the Prime Minister isn't always such a bad thing for Rishi Sunak because, you know, you have this equate today, I think, Tobias Elwood saying, suggesting that Cyril Braverman's comments and the way she speaks does not fit with Rishi Sunak as this moderate problem fixer. But then I think the idea that Rishi Sunak, you know, has just has this Suada Bravman problem that he, he can't wait to can't wait to get rid of is also wrong. I mean, he is pushing a, a really tough approach on small boats. Let's see if it works. And having, you know, leading a coalition, yes, one of the reasons that she is in cabinet is because she appeals to right of the party, but similarly on voters, I think if Rishi Sunak can look at, you know, moderate and polite to voters perhaps in the blue wall and then you have Suella Braverman appealing to some the voters who really want that tough approach including some MPs it's partly you know mixed messaging which they quite like I think it's important also to work out what Suella Braverman has said to warrant all of this uh, it's uh, so often when you read these stories it's taken as read as if she is using racism day in day out but when you drill down in it you have the fact that she's very really plain speaking quite 
Um, she, there's always been a rule, and um, David Blunkett would do this back in the day for Home Secretaries using language about immigrants or cracking down on criminals, which was controversial, but was intended to be controversial because governments need to send out a message that they're, that they're very um, keen on cracking down on this. But what seems to have brought this to a head recently was comments she made to the Daily Mail, where she described the perpetrators of um, systematic rape and exploitation of young girls as, quote, groups of men, almost all British Pakistani, who hold cultural values, attitudes completely incompatible with British values. Now, again, this is about where you place the comma. When she said that the people who hold cultural values completely incompatible with British values she wasn't referring to British Pakistanis, obviously. She was referring to the child abusers. Now, was it racist of her, you might say, to have pointed out the ethnicity of the perpetrators? Again, this takes us back to something that Sasha Javid was doing five years ago when he was um, Home Secretary. He referred to sick Asian paedophiles. Now, Sasha Javid himself is from a, a British Pakistani background, and he would make... Uh, a very big point about how it was right to talk about the the ethnicity, the culture. One of the great concerns here was that the authorities didn't properly investigate it because of cultural sensitivities. So it's therefore important to talk plainly about the nature of this abuse and the cultural stroke ethnic elements to this. This is a very uncomfortable topic and Sajid Javid himself was, I think, accused of racism when he referred to Sig Asian paedophiles in the same way that Swala Braverman is being accused of racism now. But it's a very toxic and important charge, racism. Whenever the word is used, I think it's incumbent upon us to work to ask whether the label is justified. And I would struggle to look at any of her comments and say that they're racist. They're inflammatory, certainly, some of them. But to say that these... Um, the child abusers hold values at odds with that of British values, I don't think is so controversial in the context. And meanwhile, Katie, as the strikes rumble on, there's been an update on pay, has there? Yeah, so this was the big pay offer that took weeks to negotiate. And when it was presented, um, you know, the union suggesting that the members should accept it. And I think it was also, it was, it was on the same week that you had the budget and and. At the time, I mean, if it was going to bring an end to nurses' strikes, it was seen as probably the more politically significant thing for the coming year. Now, what's happened today is members of Unison have voted to accept the NHS pay offer. Um, that's been announced. Um, but as as we speak, members of the Royal College of Nursing um, are yet to announce the the verdict of that ballot, but has been briefed out quite heavily that they're poised to reject the offer. Now, if that happens, uh, you have a situation in which there will still be more strikes, and you can expect that to, you know, run on potentially for six months, but um, still won't have the exact details of it. And I think it puts probably the whole government strike uh, strategy in a difficult place, just in the sense you obviously have junior doctor strikes, teacher strikes coming up, and... Yes, there's always, you know, a bit of a blame game on these things. But I think it, if Rishi Sunak wants to have the image of, you know, Mr. Competent, which is clearly what they're trying to get back as some semblance of competent government, um, having these things rumble on and on is, is just not going to help that picture. And Fraser, turning to the May local elections, voters this time have to carry ID in order to vote in these May local elections. It's been estimated that voters in the East Midlands are five times as likely to not carry ID as those in the South East. So what sort of problems could come from this new rule? 
I'm afraid to say a whole bunch of problems, I think, could come from it. I don't think it's really a conspiracy against Northerners, but I do think that there is a feeling... There's a reason why the Conservative Party has proposed this. This was a Tory um, party manifesto pledge in 2015, and the Tories are keen on this because it doesn't take a demographic genius to guess that the sort of person who's not in the habit of carrying a photo ID is a sort of person who is probably not very likely to vote Conservative. You were looking at this, um, like for, I think nationally, the, about, about a million or 1.3 million people by the Electoral Commission's analysis are understood not to have a voter ID. And now they can apparently claim to um, get some apparent, some temporary form of identification. Only 20,000 people have done so. So we've got a situation where a whole bunch of people are going to be disenfranchised by this decision. Now, you can argue that it's only between 2% or 4% of the population. So, you know, the vast majority have got a form of photo ID that will work and therefore it doesn't matter. But that 2 to 4% rises. If you're looking at unemployed people, 14% of them don't have photo ID. When it comes to those living in, in rented local authority or housing association accommodation, that's 10% to 17%. When you look at about people with lower levels of education, 7% of them. Now, this is all from um, the Electoral Commission um, tracker last year. So those are the sort of people who are going to be less likely to be able to vote under this rule. Now, um, again, you know, you don't have to be the biggest conspiracy theorist to work out that most forms of electoral reform are done so they benefit one party rather than another. And I think the, um, the, the great shame here is that this is serving to further um, shut out the sort of people whose voices aren't heard enough in our politics and it gives the Conservatives less incentive to turn towards these people where I would like to see them doing a lot more of that. I do a lot of work with the Centre for Social Justice as a think tank that I'm involved in and one of the concerns about vaccine passports of course was that they would favour a certain demographic and not another if you're, I mean there's a whole bunch of reasons why you might have reason not to carry photo ID because you don't want to be in the wrong end of the authorities when you encounter them. Fundamentally, it's a solution without a problem because there's no serious reports of impersonation and polling booths. Nobody shows up in um, Twickenham Bowling Alley and says they're Fraser Nelson and can they please vote, cast the vote for the, for the Lib Dems or something. We do have examples of frauds in postal ballots, but obviously voter ID wouldn't do anything to sort that. So I do think this is a bit of a, a shame that the Conservatives have gone down this road, but I'm also aware that I've yet to meet a Conservative voter who agrees with me. Thank you, Fraser and Katie. And Fraser, we have a special Coffeehouse Shots event coming up. Could you tell our listeners about it? We're going to be doing a live podcast, which is always great for us because we get to meet um, our listeners and have a drink with them before and after. It's going to be in the Manuel Centre um, in the Westminster, just down the road from the Spectator. And the date, Katie? The date is the 10th of May. So that'll be a couple of days after the local election. No, the coronation. So well, well, both in a way. So it'll be after the local elections and after the coronation. And I think uh, we'll be discussing both, but perhaps um, posing the question, has King Charles saved Rishi Sunak's bacon? So do come and join us if you can. You can get tickets on spectator.co.uk forward slash coronation.